All right. Well, hey, good morning. So glad that you are here on this Sunday morning. Um, We're in this new series for the next couple weeks called, or next few weeks called All In, The Power of Partnership. So let me, let me kind of set the stage by asking a question. I want to do a little exercise, right? I want you to think for a moment of one word that you would use to describe 2020. All right. I want you to think about that. Turn to your neighbor and share that word with them. Okay. Whatever that word is. There's any number of words you could use to describe this year, right? So let me just throw out a few that crossed my mind, all right? Just a handful, okay? Weird is one word. Challenging, confusing, disappointing. What was that? Apocalypse, right? That's another one. Um, Frustrating, depressing. Maybe the one I've used the most is maddening, right? Maybe a word that you would use is meh. (laughs) Right. It's just been a weird year. What I would love to do. And I was thinking about this, you know, as Jack was talking and and I'm guilty of this, but we've we've spent so much of this year talking about how bad this year is. Right. What if we just turned a corner and we just kind of made this decision that we weren't we're going to stop talking about how bad this year is and stop feeding into our own, you know, press and just like turn the corner on this and, and have a different mindset. And I want to I want to work into this series because you know the reality is that all of life is is full of ups and downs, right? Peaks and valleys, highs and lows. Every person has those on the regular. And you know to to quote some wise theologians uh, that went by the nickname of the Rembrandts, you know it. Sometimes it feels like you're always in second gear. Like maybe it's, it, it, <laughs> it's what, it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. Anybody tracking with me? All right. Shout out to friends. God help me. God help me. All right. Um, but you know what? Just think about that. All of life is, works in seasons. And what makes 2020 so unusual is the fact that it's like everyone is having a down year all at the same time. Right? All, all across the world, all together, it's just an off year. But I want you to think about it. Every person, every marriage, every relationship, every organization, everything has seasons. And so how do we deal with the mundane or the challenging or the, what I would like to call the blah, right? Everybody's feeling. How do we work through that? And we've talked about this before when we talk about adversity. Our default position, the default way that we like to handle difficulty is we want to uh, get out of it. You know, like, Lord, make it stop. Get me around this. But how many of you know that most of the time, the only way out of something or the best way out of something is through it. It's through it. And let me give you an example. The, the nation of Israel, God's people. If you go back to Genesis and, Genesis and Exodus, God's people find themselves in slavery in Egypt and God hears their cries and he wants to free them from that. And so God miraculously through his deliverer, Moses, he delivers them from Egypt. But as they are making their way to the place where God wants them to be, they come up against the Red Sea. And, and this, is, this is the most difficult, the most desperate, and yet the most defining moment in the history of all of God's people. And what does God do? God doesn't zap them to the other side of the Red Sea. God doesn't like lift them up over it or take them around that. What's he do? He takes them where? Through it. He takes them through it. And newsflash, okay, maybe you haven't thought about this, but newsflash, the chaos in our nation, in our world, it's not going away. 
In fact, the Bible tells us something different, that it's only going to increase and get more chaotic and more crazy as the end is drawing more and more near. And so how do we get through it? You know, I remember seven or eight years ago, um, our kids were pretty young at the time. Um, we were living in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, my wife and I and, 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 our, and our family, we were going through probably the most challenging time of our 21 years of marriage. Not relationally, but just where we were financially and just trying to figure out what God had for our family and for our lives. And I remember there was a verse that, that God gave us that we clung to through that challenging time. And I wanna share it with you, Psalm 37 verses three to five, and actually let me, let me start by reading verse four and five because these are great verses. Verse four says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. And I'm reading out of the New King James Version um, because I remember this verse three is actually where I wanna go to because this was as incredible as verses four and five are. Delight yourself in the Lord. He's gonna give you the desires of your heart when you do that. Commit your way to him and he's gonna bring it to pass. Verse three was the verse that got us through the season that we clung to. And I wanna read it to you. Verse 37, Psalm 37, verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And so I remember for my wife and I, like we, we memorized and like we, like we kept coming back to this verse over and over, the simplicity of trust in the Lord, trust in him. I know, I know you don't get what we're going through, you're going through right now, but just trust me and do good. In other words, put your head down, like keep grinding, do trust in me, do good, dwell in the land. Okay, that word dwell, it's more than just finding a home there or living there. It's this idea of abiding, like settling in and resting. Dwell in the land, dwell in the place where I've put you and feed on my faithfulness. And, and so the idea is we, were, we had so many questions. We were so confused about what God wanted for us. This, this reminder kept coming back to this. Hey, just trust me, put your head down, grind it out, keep doing good where I've put you. Keep trusting me and, 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 and dwell where I've put you. Just rest there. And I promise you, you're gonna be able to feed on my faithfulness. You're gonna experience it. And I want you to just feed on my faithfulness. And over and over, even when it didn't make sense, we kept coming back to this verse. Put your head down, keep grinding, root yourself deeper in the things that he's called us to. Rather than trying to get our way out of it, God, we want to put our heads down and dig deeper and root ourselves deeper in the, the, the basic things that you've called us to, the certain things that you've called us to as we live in the midst of uncertainty. And so let me tell you this, as a pastor in this pandemic year of 2020, there's a lot of things on my mind, a lot of things that concern me personally uh, and, and, and professionally, but as a pastor, the greatest concern I have this year is that people will pull away from the Lord and from his church. And I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if you know this, but you cannot separate Christ and his church, the, the groom and his bride. To be in Christ means to be a part of his family, to be his bride. And you know, I, I, I get it this year, you know, early on this year, we had to stop, every church had to stop meeting in person and you go to the online experience, which is way different, right? It's not the same but everybody kind of gets used to being at home and then you start reopening and coming back and all these things. And, and you know, I, I get it. God has done different things through this year. 
Some families he's, he's moved to a different place. Some families he's moved to a different church. Some people, Lord bless them, have gotten used to worshiping at Bedside Baptist. You know what I'm talking about? Here is my fear. My fear isn't that people will stop coming to friendship. All right. My fear is that people pull away from the Lord and from his church. And they get used to not being a part of, of this because here's, here's what I would suggest. It's kind of is almost the thesis for this whole series, that the way forward through the mess is not away from God and not away from his church, but deeper into his church. And I, I know you might hear that and go, well, you're supposed to say that. You're the pastor of this church, right? And some of you might say, well, that sounds really simplistic. Okay, so, so the way through all this challenging, this challenging season is just to go deeper and become more invested and involved in God's church. You really believe that? Absolutely, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because if you know my story, you know I, I didn't grow up in church. I came to Christ. I came to faith in Jesus at 17 years old. And getting saved changed my eternity forever. But what happened is I got home from that youth camp and I got plugged in and invested in the life of the church, which y'all, I went to church maybe Easter and Christmas every three years. <laughs> you know, I was not invested in the church, but I from at 17, year old, 17 years old invested my life in the church and getting saved changed my eternity. Getting plugged into the church changed my life. It changed my life. And that's my, that is what I'm talking about in this series, all in. This series is all about our commitment to God's church in general and our commitment to this friendship family in particular. So we're gonna talk about what I call partnership. Partnership, also known as membership in a lot of churches. And I wanna, I wanna go through the series because I think this is important that rather than pulling away, rather than trying to find something new or different or better, because listen, y'all, um, and again, my, my goal isn't for you to be committed here, but somewhere, because I think it's important for us to get dialed in. This partnership is so important. And a key word that we're gonna see today that I wanna focus on is the word covenant, covenant. And, and the first big idea that I wanna throw out to, to you this morning is that God, is a covenant God. God is a covenant God. Now, the way that I wanna explain this is I wanna, I wanna show a video, it's about five minutes long. Uh, I've shown videos by this organization before called The Bible Project. If you remember, they're the ones who kind of draw out, sketch out um, books of the Bible and themes of scripture. And so I wanna give, uh, give you this video to watch for the next five minutes that explains covenants through the Bible. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much, and that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right, and this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. 
it's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. 
So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. All right, so this idea of covenant, I want to read a definition of covenant that I think is helpful for us. A covenant is a promise by which we obligate ourselves to one another in such a way that the obligation of one party is not dependent on the faithfulness of the other. And that's a big deal, that we're covenanting together. You see that with God, that regardless of our faithfulness to him, he remains faithful to his covenant promise. And I, w- I just want to take a couple minutes because I, I, I want us to see this idea that God is a covenant God. And I think one of the most powerful pictures of God's covenant love and faithfulness to us is in the book of Hosea. And we could spend all morning, we could spend all month in the book of Hosea, but I want to give, give us a quick snapshot of, of the book of Hosea. Hosea is, is a prophet and God tells him in Hosea, Chapter one, verse two, I wanna read this with you. It says, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. What God does is he tells this prophet Hosea to go marry this woman named Gomer. Okay, awful name, right? God, what were you thinking, Gomer? But she was, she was a, a prostitute. Now, we don't know if she was a prostitute when God told uh, Hosea to marry her or if she became one later. But the picture is this. this. This isn't like, this is not like pretty woman, you know, where he comes in and rescues her and pulls her out of this, this lifestyle. No, what happens with Gomer is that they marry, they have three children, but she continues or she goes back into this lifestyle. She's unfaithful. She commits adultery. And so as you go through this book, what you see is that God, this, this, there's a picture here that, that Hosea is, is a picture of the Lord and, and Gomer, the bride, is a picture of, of his people, Israel, and that, that God's people have been unfaithful to him. The Bible over and over refers to uh, our wandering away from our rebellion towards God as spiritual adultery. Like we've committed adultery against our husband, the one who loves us. And so as you work through Hosea, what you see is that God has every right with his people Israel who have gone after other gods, who have rebelled against him. God has every right in the world to end the covenant that he made with with his people Israel. But what does he do? Instead of ending the covenant, he renews the covenant. He renews the covenant. I want you to see in Hosea chapter two, verse 19 and 20. He says, I will betroth you to me for how long? Forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And then in Hosea three, so, so what we see is that, you know, that God is, is faithful, even when his people 
or not, even when they commit adultery, God is still faithful to his people. And then in Hosea 3, God does something crazy. He goes back to Hosea and he says in Hosea 3, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to me, go again. Go again. Go back to Gomer. Go back to your wife who is who is living this life of adultery away from you. Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. And I don't know what that's all about. All I know is that pagans apparently loved raisin cakes, all right? (laughs) Whatever, moving right along. Number two, he's like, even though they like raisin cakes, I want you to go love, love them just as I love you. So I bought her. Here's what Hosea says. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a a lethic of barley. What what we see in this story is that Gomer has gone off into this lifestyle of adultery. And she she is almost, I mean, you you could say that she has been trafficked at this point. And God says, I want you to go and I want you to love her even though she has committed adultery against you, even though she has been unfaithful to you, go and love her because that is the way that I have loved you. And what does Hosea do? It says he goes and he buys her back. He purchases this wife that already belongs to him. Why? Because he loves her and he's faithful to her. And y'all, this is an incredible picture of the covenant love and faithfulness of God towards us because whether we would like to admit it or not, we are more like Gomer than we are unlike her. That we go after our own gods and idols and we go after things that bring us pleasure more than we go after God. And so we commit adultery against our husband Christ over and over and over. And yet the covenant love and faithfulness of God is this, that regardless of your faithfulness to me, I will remain faithful to you because I've given you my covenant love and nothing you do can break that. This is what a covenant is about. And so the Lord tells Hosea to love her, which, which this is a whole nother lesson. Uh, he says, go love her, which is more than about a feeling. It's about a choice. It's about acting and loving intentionally and and, and Hosea does what Christ has done for us. And we could trace this all through the scriptures, the faithfulness of God. God is a covenant God. But here's, here's the second part of what I wanna talk about this morning is that we are a covenant people. We are a covenant people. You know, an, another word for the word covenant is the word testament. You recognize that word? If you're familiar at all with the Bible, you know that it's made up of two parts. The old, what? the Old Testament and the New Testament. In other words, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. What this means is, you know, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, you know, was all about, really about the law. The law revealed our sinfulness or man's sinfulness and their need to be forgiven of their sins. And it required sacrifice, blood sacrifice to atone for sin. And so the Old Covenant was you're a sinner, the law, 
man, it, it points out your sinfulness and your need to, to be atoned, your sin for, to be atoned for. And all the while it's pointing towards a better or a new covenant. And so when we move into the New Testament, the new covenant, Jesus comes along and he offers a new way. He offers a new covenant. And by, by his sacrificial death and the shedding of his blood, what he does is he does away with the old covenant that says we, every single year we've gotta, we've gotta have a animal blood sacrifice to cover over our sins. And what Jesus does on the cross is he offers his life and he, he allows his body to be broken, his blood to be shed, to cleanse us once and for all of all of our sin. And I want you to see this in Hebrews chapter three, Hebrews three, we see this transition from the old covenant or the old Testament to the new. Hebrews three, starting in verse number three, but in these sacrifices, talking about these, these Old Testament or Old Covenant sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So every year you had to make this sacrifice to cover your sins for the, for the next upcoming year. Verse four, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It only covered it temporarily. Verse five, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have, you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he, Christ, said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Verse nine, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. Don't miss this next line. He says this, he, Jesus, does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So what this tells us is that Jesus came to do away with the old covenant he came to do away with this continually, continual ongoing sacrifice for sins. And he came to offer this one-time sacrifice once for all. His blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we come into this new covenant that's all about grace. And the law, the old covenant wasn't bad, it was, but it was always pointing towards the new and the better and I want you to see in, in Luke chapter 22, at the last supper of Jesus, you know, last week we celebrated the Lord's Supper and we referenced, you know, when Jesus had this last meal with his disciples and he, he says, this, this bread that we're getting ready to eat represents my body that's broken. And he says, this, 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 this cup that we're gonna drink represents my blood. And I want you to see in Luke chapter 22, this is what Jesus says. He took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is broken or given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten. And y'all, every time we do the Lord's Supper, we, we, we read through this and we miss this. He says this, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new what? It's the new covenant in my blood. And what Jesus is saying is that by my blood that's spilled for you, I am doing away with the old covenant that says you have to go through this ritualistic, annual, continual, ongoing sacrifice for sin. I'm doing away with the old covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. 
This is given for you for the forgiveness of sins once and for all. By my grace, I have done this for you. And the blood of Christ is the basis for this new covenant. It's the basis for this new covenant. He does away with the old, the requirement for this continual sacrifice of sins. He's established this new covenant with us that says, when you put my faith in me, when you receive my blood, the blood that atones for your sin, listen, you have entered into a covenant relationship with me through my blood. And no matter what you do, no matter how faithful you are to me, you have my covenant love with you forever. And my covenant faithfulness is yours. No matter how far you go, it belongs to you. I will love you forever. I am committed to you. So what does this have to do with us today as covenant people? God is a covenant God. We are a covenant people. I want to talk about this idea of, of partnership. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Paul is writing to what we would call a New Testament or a New Covenant church, people that have organized their lives around the person and the work of Jesus. And, and Paul is writing this letter to these, these followers of Christ. And he says in Philippians 1, starting in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And what Paul is doing when he refers to this partnership, he says that, that not only are we in covenant with God, but now we're in covenant partnership with one another in the work of the gospel. The partnership, another way that it could be defined or translated is fellowship or communion or sharing. A way that I would put it, it's the title of our series, All In. Together we are partners, we're a team, we're a, we're a family, we are committed to one another. Not just in partnership with God, but we're in partnership in the gospel together. And if you put your faith in, in Christ, I've, I've already said it, you have God's covenant love. His, he, he is committed to you. And we are his covenant people. We're more like, again, we're more like Gomer than we would care to admit. But 2 Timothy um, chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, and I love this verse. It says that if we are faithless or if we are unfaithful, he remains what? He remains what? faithful, even when we have no faith, even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful to us. And so I want to talk about this idea for just the last couple minutes about covenant partnership, us in, in a covenant relationship with God, but more than that, us in covenant partnership with one another. You know, when I look out at the church, uh, I see three levels of engagement. That, that we as people have with the local church, all right? And, and, and we, we all kind of, I think, naturally work through these. Hopefully we grow through these. But let me talk about these three levels of, of how we engage the church. Number one is consumer. Consumer. You, you know what a consumer is? Someone who, who, who takes in, who buys, who purchases, who takes in goods and services. Okay, I am a, I am a pretty faithful consumer 
of Amazon.com, okay? I just admit it. I, I take advantage of Amazon Prime. I take advantage of Prime videos. I, like, I use it all, all right? I'm a faithful consumer because they make it easy and they ship it in two days, all right? I am a consumer. I consume their goods and services. So when you're a consumer in the church, okay, and this, is, this can be used in a, a bad connotation. I'm not trying to use it that way. When we're a consumer, that means we, 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 we come in and we participate. We, we come to church, we engage. It doesn't mean we're not worshiping, but, but we kind of come and sit. And we kind of come and we enjoy the benefits of, of a church and a weekly service and kids ministry and all those things. That's not a bad thing. We all, we all do it at some point. We, we consume, we take in, we absorb. But then there's a second level that we hopefully mature into and grow into and that's of a contributor. A contributor, we, we start to give back, we start to contribute. Okay, think about this like, like children, or in my world right now, puppies, all right? Very dependent, they're consumers, they consume. We put out the food, they eat it. We take them to go potty, they go potty. We change their diaper, whatever it is. Okay, we don't use diapers with our dog, but that would be easier. Um, but they consume, they're not really contributing a lot other than cuteness, right? And we, we take care of them, they, they, we feed them, we do everything for them. But then there moves a point where, you know, like our kids, three of our four are teenagers, and so they're, they're no longer just consumers, they contribute, all right? They, um, they go to the bathroom by themselves, all right? They contribute. Um, they do dishes. They do their own laundry. We're not doing these things all for them. They contribute to the household. Um, you know, they, they make their bed sometimes. They do all these, they contribute, right? They're not just consuming. And so in the church, what happens is hopefully as we mature in our faith, we, we, we move from just consuming to contributing. We start giving back, we serve, we participate. We, maybe we start giving a little bit financially. We, we become more givers rather than just takers or consumers. And this is a great place to be. And often we say, we don't, God hasn't called us to be consumers, but contributors. Absolutely, that's true. He's called us to consume, but he's called us to contribute. But then there's a third level that we don't talk about very much in the church anymore. And it's, it's what I would call covenant partnership, covenant partners. So what this looks like is, and again, AKA also known as membership. It's from, it goes from consuming to contributing to covenant partnership. In other words, I am all in. I am with you all the way. I am committed. I am committed. This is, I, would, I liken this to, you know, moving from dating to marriage. All right, there's a, there's a big difference. You can contribute, you can be kind of committed, but man, when you, when you say I do, when you, put, when you say the vows and put on the rings, you are saying I am committed. And, and a marriage relationship is the best picture, I think, in our culture that we have of a covenant relationship. Obviously, it's been thrown all over the place and abused in our culture over the last however number of decades. But it's this, this means I'm committed to you exclusively. And when things go, you know, for, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, man, I am, I am all in. I am committed. And what happens, hopefully, as followers of Jesus, is we move from consuming to contributing to saying, I'm all in. This is, this is my church. This is my family. This is my, this is my, 
This is the bride that I'm a part of. And I'm going to give everything I have to this church and service to the Lord and the people that it ministers to. Covenant partnership. You know, and, and I get it. We don't, like, we don't like commitment much in 2020. You know, we, we like a lot of options. We like easy outs. Um, we don't want to be stuck in anything. This is why every single, like, every, everything has moved to, like, subscriptions these days. Have you noticed that? Which I love as a consumer, okay? Uh, I'm not committed to Netflix for the rest of my life. I'm not committed to Verizon or AT&T for the next two years anymore. Like, I can, I can get in and I can get out. When I'm not happy, I can leave, right? I don't want to be committed. And I can bounce between all these things that meet my needs, at the time that I need them. And as people of God, we're called to move beyond that, which is spiritual immaturity. It's just consuming, hopping around, jumping around, and saying, I am, I'm gonna not just contribute, I am committed to this church and entering into covenant partnership. Now y'all, I know this is, this is setting the bar high for church people, because it's easier to just say, hey, I want everybody to come and I want you to enjoy and we've got all these programs and all these things going on and I just, man, I want more and more and more and more. And to set the bar high and say, we would rather have people committed to God's church and invested is, it's, a, it's like saying, hey, stop dating around, stop sleeping around, commit to one person for the rest of your life. That is setting the bar high. And that's why in our culture that has moved further and further away from God, that's why more and more in our culture, it's better to like to cohabitate or I'm going to try this out. We're going to sleep together and live together. And then maybe somewhere down the line, if we feel like this is going to last, maybe just maybe we'll commit to marriage. But that's not what God has called us to. As the people of God, he has, he has laid down his life for us and he's, he's called us to enter into covenant with him and with his his church with his body. We don't like commitment much these, these days, but I can think of honestly nothing more helpful, nothing more grounding, nothing more stabilizing in our lives than to be committed to a place, a family, a church where God has called us. I don't think there's anything more grounding or stabilizing or helpful for us. My bottom line is this, God doesn't want church people. What God wants is his people living in covenant community with one another. Living in covenant community with one another, being in partnership for the gospel. So let me be really upfront this morning about my goal for this series. My goal is not that every person would join Friendship Baptist Church, all right? That is not my goal. It's not my goal for every person to join this church. Because maybe this isn't the place that God wants you to be committed. Rather, here's, here's my goal, honestly, for every person that, that, that visits, that attends, that is part of friendship, is that every person, every individual, every married couple would self-evaluate a relationship with Christ. First of all, I want you to be in a covenant relationship with God. I want you to put your faith in Jesus. But to self-evaluate your relationship with the church and to go all in, to go all in, to be committed to a church family, whether that means becoming a member of another good church, another good gospel preaching church, or stepping into 
covenant partnership here. Because here's my goal. Here, here's, here's, here's where my heart is at. You don't have to be committed here, but you should be committed somewhere. You should be. If you're a child of God, if you're, if you're a part of God's family by faith, you don't have to be committed here, but you should be committed somewhere. Are you, are you, are you tracking with me? And I, I know the, the temptation in 2020, I know there's folks that are still at home um, for legitimate reasons. Uh, I know there's people that are, are maybe still at home because of fear. And if, if that is you, I'm gonna talk to the camera, if that is you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you to step out in faith because God has not called us to fear. He's not given us that kind of spirit. He's given us a spirit of power. So maybe it's time to step out in faith. But God has called all of us to be committed to his church, whether that's here or somewhere else. And so for some of y'all, some of y'all, you've been dating and you're going, okay, is this the place? And I know there's people that are part of friendship today, like in the middle of COVID because God has stirred up in their hearts and said, maybe there's another church for you to be a part of. And I get that. And maybe there's people that have left friendship to investigate elsewhere as well. I'm okay with that. Here's my heart is that all of God's people would be committed to his local church somewhere, to his local church somewhere. And that's my desire. You know, maybe here, maybe you'd say, I'm already, I'm already a member here. I've been a member of Friendship for years. And that's great. I love that. But if I could, if I could be so bold as to say the, the roles are cleared, <laughs> all right? I don't know if we even use that term anymore. Membership role was an old school term. Like you became a member, you were put on the membership role of a church, and then you were stuck on that thing for life, right? Until you went to another church. Whether you'd been to church or done anything there for 10 years, you were on the role, all right? Some of you are like, I've never heard that term in my life. That's okay. You're thinking of Thanksgiving. You're like, oh, roles, yes, awesome. <laughs> Listen, the roles are cleared. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't care if you're a member before because here, it's, it's never a bad thing to renew your vows, right? It's never a bad thing to reconsider and recommit yourself to the church. In fact, whenever we do the Lord's Supper, do you realize what we're doing is we're reevaluating and recommitting ourselves to our relationship with the Lord? That's what we do. And so here's what I would love to do as we end 2020, as we head into 2021, and we're gonna talk more in the next couple of weeks about how we're gonna do this. But I would love for people who have called friendship, you know, home, who have said, I'm a member of friendship. I've been a member for decades. That's awesome. I love it. I want to ask you to consider transitioning into what we would call partners. Because maybe the expectations were different before. Maybe they're not. Maybe you are a different person when you joined this church than you are now. Absolutely, you are. And so I'm calling all of us to evaluate where we're at, whether you've been a member or not. You know, maybe you've been consuming or contributing to this church, and I wanna say amen. Great, keep doing it. Don't stop doing that. But also, don't stop there. Don't stop with consuming. Move towards contributing and hopefully towards covenant partnership. Don't be like that boyfriend who is like dragging his feet, you know what I'm talking about, who's afraid of commitment, Let's just move in together. Let's just try this out. No, I'm calling you to commit, to move from consuming to contributing. 
to covenant partnership, going all in. Okay, so I wanna end this here this morning. You know, I joked in the beginning about, um, I joked about those theologians, the Rembrandts, and I joked about this theme song to friends. God help me, I'm gonna come back to that illustration one more time, all right? Forgive me, don't strike me down. Actually, if you pay attention to the lyrics to this song, okay, I only hit a certain portion of them. I can't believe I'm going back to the Friends theme song. So the lyrics are actually a really good picture of covenant love and covenant faithfulness. All right, so I'm gonna go back to the lyrics. We're gonna put them on the screen. All right, it's like you're always stuck in second gear. We mentioned this earlier, when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. And then it goes on, it says, but, I'll be there for you. Y'all are gonna be singing this for the rest of the day. You're welcome. <laughs> I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. And then, then it goes into another verse later on. I don't think this is actually in the opening um, of, the song, of, the, of the show, but it goes into this next part. No one could ever know me. No one could ever see me. Seems like you're the only one who knows what it's like to be me. Someone to face the day with. And I'm not, sing, I'm not gonna sing this, all right? Just know it. I'm just trying to read through it quickly. Someone to face the day with, make it through all the rest with. Someone I'll always laugh with. Even at my worst, I'm best with you. Yeah. And then it goes into, sometimes it seems like you're always stuck in second gear. Da, 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 da. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. All right, pretty great picture. And some of that speaks to covenant love of God that he is there for us. But really this is, you know what the show is called? What's it called? Friends. Can I make a really cheesy connection? You know what the name of our church is? Okay, I'm, stop, stop it, stop it. <laughs> but what if, what if the theme of our church, not the theme song, it's not the theme song, all right? What if the theme of our church could be, man, we are in this. How would you sum up the song? We're in this together. We're all in. We're committed to one another at our best and at our worst. Man, we're together. We're there for each other, just as the Lord is there for us. This is what it means to be in covenant relationship. And so y'all, as we work through these next couple of weeks, my challenge for us is to evaluate where are you, not just in your relationship with Christ, but your relationship to his church. Maybe God is calling you to commit somewhere. Maybe it's not here, that's okay. But maybe, just maybe, God is saying, okay, I want you to, to be all in at friendship. And y'all, there's better churches, there's better pastors and preachers and, and all those things. You'll find a better production, better facilities, in many other places, all right? But the worst thing you could do in a relationship is to say, well, man, I wish my spouse was more like that, that person. I wish you looked more like that, or I wish you behaved more like that. Hey, when you go all in, you go all in, and you contribute, and you say, I'm gonna help make you the best version of you possibly be. I'm going to serve you and, and do everything I can to bless you and honor you and love you. And that's what I'm calling us to as the church. And so would you pray, pray with me this morning? God, thank you that you are a covenant God, that you are committed to us. And maybe for some of us, the biggest reminder and comfort this morning is to be reminded of the truth and the reality that you are our covenant 
God. God, even as we look through this week and this month and this year, Lord, I know that if we were to examine our hearts, we would see so many ways in which we failed you, so many ways in which we've allowed fear to rule us, so many ways that we've allowed pride or covetousness to sneak in. God, we've wondered and we continue to wonder, even with your great love for us, even with the multitude of mercy that you offer us day in and day out, Lord, our hearts are still prone to wonder. And yet you are a God who is faithful. And by the blood of Jesus, for those of us that have put our trust in you, you have called us into this covenant relationship. And even when we are faithless, even when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful because you can't deny yourself. It's who you are. And God, thank you for that reminder today. It's why we worship you today, because you don't change. And so God, thank you for calling us into this covenant relationship. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in this room or watching or listening today, Lord, that is outside of a relationship with you, God, that they would sense the tender draw of your spirit, calling them to know you, calling, to, calling them to put their trust in you, calling them to submit themselves to you. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would just be able to consider our relationship with you, to your church. God, I pray that we would be a people that are committed, that are devoted, that are all in to your church, your local church. God, for some people, I'm asking that you would lead them to the right place. God, for some, you're calling them to plant their flag here and to be committed and all in here to partner with us in the gospel here. God, I pray that throughout this series and these next few weeks, God, that we would evaluate, that you would give us wisdom and discernment as we listen for your voice and as we consider our relationship with you for those that are consuming and contributing and God, you're calling them to move into covenant. God, I pray that you would, that you would give clarity. God, for all of us, that you would help us to know what step you want us to take. God, we love you. We are grateful for all that you have done. And Lord, we want to continue to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?